Hi, this is Bruce Boxleitner, and you're listening to Then Is Now podcast. Greetings, Spice fans. Silk City Hot Sauce is now sponsoring the Dorkening Podcast Network. Our craft sauces are made in Vermont in small, high-quality batches using locally sourced, farm-grown ingredients. Silk City Hot Sauce comes in a variety of heat strengths and killer flavors like Jezebel, Erotic Fever, Mango Madness, and Good Morning Jonestown. And don't forget our newest creation, Hot Syrup. Make no mistake, Spice fans, this is the queen of sweet heat. There's new and unique flavors coming out all the time. Best of all, right now, listeners of the Dorkening Podcast Network can go to SilkCityHotSauce.com and use coupon code DORK. Not only will you get 20% off your order, we'll also throw in a free bottle of hot sauce. That's SilkCityHotSauce.com. Coupon code DORK. Writer David Mish, who worked on such classic TV shows as Mork and Mindy, Police Squad, and Duckman, is embarking on the busiest stretch of his post-career career. He's doing 21 online shows in 15 weeks. The main event in January of 2022 is his biannual five-week course, The World of Musical Satire, Thursdays at 1 p.m. from January 13th to February 10th. Join David as he explores a wide variety of genres and eras, especially America since 1950, including discussions on such greats as Gilbert and Sullivan, Monty Python, Spinal Tap, South Park, and more. Plus, short interviews with such greats as Weird Al Yankovic, Michael Palin, and many more. Tickets for this course can be found at uclaextension.edu. Then, on January 16th at 6 p.m., at the San Miguel Literary Sala Distinguished Speaker Series, you can join David and his special guest, the fabulous Jeff Reno, famous for for such things as Meet Joe Black, The West Wing, and Moonlighting. In particular, the episode Atomic Shakespeare, listed as one of TV Guide's top 100 episodes of all time. Tickets to hear him speak on this can be found at sanmiguelliterarysala.org. For more information, visit davidmish.com. Hi, this is Rigor, host of Then Is Now Podcast and The East Meets the West. I just wanted to say thank you to all of our Patreon subscribers. We appreciate your support as we grow the audience for our shows. You can find our links to our Patreon page as well as our Tee Public page at havenpodcasts.com. With Patreon, you'll get a lot of exclusive stuff, including our monthly pop culture newsletter, cool gifts, discounts for Tee Public, and our special exclusive show, Then Is Now Filmmakers Series, in which we interview directors, producers, writers, composers, special effects guys, basically anybody who works behind the scenes in film and television and get their insights into the process of creating films and TV shows. Also at our Tee Public page, you'll find cool merch that you can get or even give to others as gifts. You can find those links at our website, or you can go directly to tpublic.com slash stores slash havenpodcasts and patreon.com slash thenisnowpodcast. Enjoy! What kind of a sick school is this? Things are afoot at the Circle K. You're gonna need a bigger boat. Surely you can't be serious. I am serious, and don't call me Shirley. You got spunk. <laughs> I hate spunk. Danger, Will Robinson. Danger. Oh, righty. How you doing? Back off, man. I'm a scientist. 
Don't make me angry. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry. Say hello to my little friend. I love to smell a great plum in the morning. What are you people? On dope? Stop whining. I've got a on your deck that can choke a donkey. Who is your daddy? I'm sorry, but all questions must be submitted in writing. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. Can I do that? I'll be back. A dynamite! Show me the body! Don't! Up your nose when you have the hose. A what? I'm sailing! I'm sailing! You, you want the moon? Just say the word and I'll throw a lasso around it. Pull it down. Love means never having to say you're sorry. Here's looking at you, kid. We got no food. We got no jobs. Our pets' heads are falling off. Go to the coast. We get together. Have a few laughs. Hear that, Elizabeth? I'm coming to join you, honey. I'm not a doctor, but I play one on TV. I love it when a plan comes together. What we do is if we need that extra push over the cliff, you know what we do? Oh. Put it up to 11. 11, exactly. One louder. Why don't you just make 10 louder and make 10 be the top number and make that a little louder? These go to 11. We're on a mission from God. Hello and welcome to Then Is Now Podcast, the show in which we discuss pop culture of the past and how it relates today, as well as helping people introduce the younger generation to all the cool stuff they missed out on. I am your host, Rigor, and I'm with my co-host, Chris Esper. What's happening, dude? Hey, man. How's it going? Good, good. You know, I ended up seeing Spider-Man No Way Home again. <laughs> oh, did you? <laughs> yeah. I loved it even more this time around. I picked up a lot of details I missed the first time. Um, my wife and I went again because my grandson hadn't seen it and he was kind of disappointed that we went without him last week, so. <laughs> um, but one thing I, I did, um, I did start watching the show Castle. You ever see that? Yes. Uh, haven't, but I certainly heard of it. Yeah. With Nathan Fillion. And shame on me because I'm a big Nathan Fillion fan, but it was just one of those ones I didn't, uh, at the time I didn't have enough time to add another TV show to my list and then. Um, right. It just, I never got around to it. But we've been watching The Rookie, which I've told you before about. Oh, which, yeah. Which is an awesome Nathan Fillion show. That's new. Well, new. It's in its fourth season now. But, um, yeah. You know, he's uh, Rookie's on a break, and we wanted something else to watch. We had finished uh, Handmaid's Tale season four and a couple of other things. So we started watching Castle. And I only watched the first episode so far, but I really like it. He's really good. No, he is good. Um, that, yeah, that's another show I have to actually get into and watch uh, both Castle and. Uh... Yeah, I, I haven't seen it yet. Yeah. <laughs> so what else you got going on? Oh, uh, just like same old, just working and uh, just, uh, you know, trying to get writing done. Yeah, so same old. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, uh, but uh, man, Bob Saget. <laughs> That's oh, all I got to say. I know. Folks, if you haven't heard it, last week we talked a little bit about some of the celebrities who have passed away recently, and now we need to add Bob Saget to that list. Oh, man. You know, I always knew he was on Full House, but I never really watched that show, and it was Funniest Home Videos, yeah. or America's Funniest Home Videos, that I, I remember him from. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, I did. I mean, my sister always watched Full House. I didn't get into it until like a little bit later on, but I mean, certainly I do remember seeing it, watching it. I also remember America's Funny Home Videos. But I think the one thing that always stood out to me about him is, uh, so first of all, have you seen the the sequel to Dumb and Dumber? Uh, Dumb and Dumber, or, well, really, it's a prequel, but yeah. Yes, yeah. There's that one scene in that movie where he goes into the bathroom, Bob Saget, 
he's like the like the lead girl's father i think i don't remember but he uh he goes into the bathroom and there's like chocolate over the walls but he thinks it's shit and so <laughs> so he's in the so he's in there going there's shit everywhere there's oh, shit yeah. all over the walls oh yeah Probably the only funny scene in what is otherwise a shitty movie. <laughs> right. <laughs> Although the funny thing about that is if you, I rented the DVD when it came out, and uh, yeah. it has what's called pillow mode. So it plays mm-hmm. the movie vertically. So if you're laying down like on the couch or in your bed watching it, you can see it as if you're sitting up. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. That's unique. <laughs> he directed, um, didn't he direct Dirty Work with uh, Norm? Yes, he Norm, did. Norm, um, yep. Norm MacDonald. No McDonald, yep. Yeah, who mm-hmm. passed away recently too. I guess it's what yes. end of yep. last year. The, he did his stand-up comedy though. Like I remember him being on the Tonight Show and stuff. But if you ever get a chance to YouTube his stand-up comedy, it's hilarious. Oh, he's super <laughs> dirty. Oh yeah, no, very much unlike the TV persona that he had both in Full House and on America's Funniest Videos. He right. um he was a raunchy man. Oh yeah. <laughs> I, <laughs> like, I, oh, go ahead. Well, he did that. Um, this documentary called the Aristocrats. The Aristocrats. Oh yeah, it's about that famous joke. His is the dirtiest one, and it's hysterical. It's also the longest one. Oh, <laughs> it's that's the funny. Best. Oh, it's the best. That's. I actually have. I'm very familiar with it, but I haven't seen that. I've got to check that one out because that's on my mm, list. Really good. Yeah. yeah. Um, there's one joke I, of his that I will tell because I, I heard him say it on a primetime show. So he yeah. goes, he goes, um, wow backwards is wow, wow upside down is mom. Mom upside down is dad's favorite lunch. <laughs> wow. <laughs> no pun intended. <laughs> uh, that's awesome. <laughs> okay, folks. Well, we've had enough fun here. Now on to serious stuff. We're continuing our conversation about helping you learn how to introduce people to horror movies. Now, we uh, our recommendation is to start with the universal classic horror movies, which is by no means the way you have to do it, but it is our best advice. We've already covered all the universal Dracula, Mummy, and Invisible Man movies, and in the last part of what we're doing now, we covered the first three in the Frankenstein series. So if you're not caught up, please check those out. We covered Frankenstein, Bride of Frankenstein, and Son of Frankenstein. Today, we are doing the next three films in the series. The Wolfman from 1941, The Ghost of Frankenstein from 1942, and Frankenstein Meets the Wolfman from 1943. The reason The Wolfman is included is because it doesn't have its own series of sequels and is tied into the Frankenstein sequels, as well as one we've already covered, which is House of Dracula. So, if you haven't already done so, please go watch these films and come back and listen to our analysis. Class is in session. I have a bad feeling about this. How could I possibly be expected to handle school on a day like this? Food fight! Hey, you in my class? I am today. I think you should consider transferring to shock class. Woo woo! Now, now, very few students are severely injured in shock class. Bueller. When you were in school. Bueller. Did you ever cut class? Bueller. Yeah, I guess I did. Sure, most kids cut classes. Good, sign this. Um, he's sick. I get so lonely when I hear that third attendance bell ring and all my kids are not here. Seven years of college down the drain. Fat, drunk, and stupid is no way to go through life, son. You lack discipline. As long as I'm here, there will be no grades or gold stars or demerits. We're going to have recess all the time. Woo! Go, play, and have fun now.
regular. Is that the way Jenny Williams was killed? Yes. Find something? Animal tracks. Whoever is bitten by a werewolf and lives becomes a werewolf himself. Oh, don't hand me that. You're just wasting your time. The wolf bit you, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah, he did. You wouldn't want to run away with a murderer, would you? Oh, Larry, you're not. You know you're not. I killed Bela. I killed Richardson. If I stay here any longer, you can't tell who'll be next. Larry Talbot returns to his ancestral home in Lanwelly, Wales, to bury his recently deceased brother and reconcile with his estranged father, Sir John Talbot. While there, Larry falls in love with a local girl named Gwen Conliffe, who runs an antique shop. As an excuse to talk to her, he purchases a walking stick decorated with a silver wolf's head. Gwen tells him that it represents a werewolf, which she defines as a man who changes into a wolf at certain times of the year. Various villages recite a poem whenever the subject of werewolves comes up. Even a man who is pure in heart and says his prayers by night may become a wolf when the wolfbane blooms and the autumn moon is bright. Later that night, Larry attempts to rescue Gwen's friend Jenny from what he believes to be a sudden wolf attack. He kills the beast with his new walking stick, but is bitten on the chest. A Romani fortune teller named Maliva reveals to Larry that the animal which bit him was her son Bela, in the form of a wolf. She also reveals that Larry will transform into a wolf, since one who is bitten by a werewolf and lives will turn into one himself. Larry learns from her that silver is the only thing that can kill a werewolf. Like Maliva warned, Larry transforms into a werewolf on the following moon, full moon and kills several villagers. He returns to normal the next morning, initially with no memory of his rampage. However, the recollection of his crimes gradually returns to him, leaving him horrified and racked with guilt. The night of the next full moon, he begs his father to restrain him and to prevent him from hurting anyone else. Nevertheless, he becomes a werewolf again, breaks fear of his restraints, and attacks Gwen. Seeing that his son is doomed to become a werewolf and kill innocent people as long as he lives, Sir John reluctantly puts Larry out of his misery by bludgeoning him over the head with his own silver-headed cane. The movie ends with Sir John and Gwen watching in horror as the dead werewolf transforms back into Larry's human corpse. So, Chris, first impression. Was this your first time watching it? No, I think I've seen uh, The Wolfman uh, on uh, TCM, I want to say, years and years ago. I really liked it then, and I like it even more now. Uh, I just thought, you know, I just think it's, to me, it's actually the most atmospheric movie, I think, of all the universal horror movies, uh, I would say. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I uh, I saw this as a kid, and, you know, of course, this is among my favorites. I, I love Cheney's portrayal as the tragic Lawrence Talbot. Yeah. You know, and as a kid, it always made me, and, and even my friends, too, want to be a werewolf, so... <laughs> <laughs> Um, that's awesome yeah yeah it's just the werewolf's always been been one of my favorite monsters i love the story and like you said the atmosphere in this is great and i I, yeah absolutely this is among universal's best horror films in my opinion oh without a doubt yeah i think it's right up there along with um frankenstein dracula and and, uh, invisible man yeah yeah exactly um now it's directed by george wagner who it's funny because when i was watching it this time around when the name came up, it rung a bell, but it wasn't until I did the research that I realized where I had seen his name before several times. Um, he's yeah. done a few movies and TV shows, including uh, 
Man-Made Monster with Ch- Cheney, and several episodes of the Batman 66 TV series, among many others. And that's where I recognize his name from. I, I had watched a bunch of those recently. Um, but I liked his directing here. I thought it was solid. I thought it was, too. You know, it's again, it's very atmospheric with the fog and the lighting, the cinematography, um, you know, just... Uh, well, even the way he directs the actors, a lot of it just really works very, very well. Yeah, yeah. And, of course, it's written by Kurt Siodmak, and we've talked about him before because, you know, he's done a ton of universal horrors, including The Invisible Man Returns, Invisible Woman, Invis- Invisible Agent, and Son of Dracula, among several others that we may or may not cover on this show. Hmm. And then in our cast, we've got Lon Chaney Jr., of course, as Lawrence Larry Talbot a.k.a. the Wolfman. And, you know, he's one of those guys, what can we say about the great actor that hasn't been said before? I mean, he, oh, yeah. he owned this character. And yeah. no, no other actor ever played the Wolfman. Yeah, no. And, uh, yeah, well, he, well, I mean, the whole cast all around. I mean, when, when I saw the credits come up and I see all the names listed, I had forgotten who was in this. And I'm like, wow, what a cast between him and Claude Rains and, you know, Bela Lugosi. But, I mean, it, it's unbelievable. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll we'll get into them in a little bit. I just want to talk about Chaney for a little bit here because, you know, um, he's the only actor who actually played all four monsters, Dracula, the Frankenstein monster, and the mummy, as well as the wolf. Interesting. Man. Yeah. Interesting. But this is the one he's remembered for. You know, he plays the part of Tragic Talbot convincingly, I think. Yeah, without a doubt. Um, we may have said this before when we talked about him because he was in Son of Dracula, um, but just to reiterate for those who have who don't know this stuff, um, his real name was Crichton Chaney. He, of course, is the son of Lon Chaney, the man of a thousand faces from the silent film era. And we've talked about Lon Chaney Sr. a few times um, because of his, you know, uh, doing his own makeup. But in this case, it wasn't it wasn't. Uh, Cheney Jr. who did his own makeup. It was, of course, Jack Pierce that we'll talk about a little bit later. Yeah. But the producers thought it would be a good selling point to have him change his name from Crichton Cheney to Lon Cheney Jr. And he never liked that, even throughout his career. I think at a certain point, he drops the junior and is just Lon Cheney. Yeah, I, I noticed that in the credits. Yeah, it wasn't Lon Cheney Jr. It was just Lon Cheney. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I didn't notice that this time around. But um, And, you know, one of his first major roles was of Mice and Men, with Burgess Meredith. Did you ever see that? No, I certainly heard of it, though. Oh, my God. you got to see that. I've seen the remake, too, with uh, John Malkovich and, um, uh, oh, Brain Fart, Lieutenant Dan. Oh, Lieutenant Dan. Who was the guy? That... Gary Sinise. Thank you. Yeah, yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but the originals, um, you know, Burgess Meredith is... George and uh, Cheney plays Lenny, and it's just so good. I, I actually uh, picked it up on DVD a year ago, and I—that's awesome. My wife used to work at a, um, as a as a cook on a, as a part time job at an old folks home that's nearby here, and I would go in on uh, like Sundays and play movies for them or play a movie on a given Sunday, and this was one of the ones that I played, and they loved it. Oh, that's great! Yeah. And, you know, sadly, though, um, Lon Chaney Jr. was a major alcoholic, which affected his career, and he died of heart failure at the age of 67 in 1973, mm. which is, was pretty old for yeah. back then, but it was still far too young, I think. Yeah, no, well, for today, yeah, no, it's far too young. Yeah. And then, of course, we've got Claude Rains, who plays his father, Sir John Talbot, you know, another great that we've talked about before, both in The Invisible Man as well as Casablanca. Uh, we covered that on a previous episode, you and I. 
and he's got a small part here, but I feel like it's a pivotal role, and ultimately it's a tragic one as well. Yeah, without a doubt. And uh, I like the way he played it here. Yeah, yeah, I do. I um, uh, He really, he does that austere kind of, you know, rich British person very well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, he did it well in Casablanca, and he did it well here. Yeah, so. yeah. Yeah. Oh man! And then Warren William played Doctor Lloyd. Now I didn't know this till I did my research here, but he was a major star of a lot of pre-code talkies. Um, in particular, a series of films where he played a character called Michael Lanyard, also known as the Lone Wolf. And um, the, most of the titles were like the Lone Wolf and or the Lone Wolf versus or whatever, which I've never heard of before. Now I want to go check those out. I want to check those out too because I was looking on. I think it was IMDb, and I saw those credits, and I'm like, hmm, interesting. I think even um, I think even uh, George Wagner, he had a few credits too, where uh, there were like a couple of like wolf pictures in addition to this one. Yeah, yeah, I thought that was interesting. <laughs> yeah, so be curious to see those. Yeah, oh, definitely. I, you know, a quick aside here. I've been on the late at night. If well, not late at night, but like we go to bed, and then I'm still white, like awake. So I'll throw on, I have a whole stack of Charlie Chan DVDs, which I used to watch as a kid. You know, I, I used to stay up to like, you know, nice. one in the morning to watch either Charlie Chan or Sherlock Holmes, whatever was on. And those movies from those eras, from that era are just so good. It's so much fun. Yeah. I think I've seen those DVDs too. Are those like the $1 DVDs? There's like a bunch in like a, like a 50 movie pack. Like they had like a bunch of those like Charlie Chan ones. Yeah. 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 Yeah, those are cool. I, those are cool. I had I had one a long time ago. I don't I don't know where or what, but it was like a bunch of like detective movies and a bunch of like Dick Tracy movies, Sherlock Holmes. It was really cool. Really, oh, really cool awesome. stuff. Yeah, I, I love that stuff. And it just like I said, it reminds me of when I was a kid and I would stay up late to watch those movies. So now it's like, yeah, I'll throw it on if I Yeah. I'd never wake up in the middle of the night, but if I do, I'll I'll, I'll try and throw it on if I can think yeah, of it. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> uh then of course we've got Ralph Bellamy who plays Colonel Paul Montford. Um, this guy has been in tons of stuff, and we're going to see him shortly in Ghosts of Frankenstein when we talk about that. Um, he also, and I didn't know this either, he played uh, Ellery Queen in a series of Ellery Queen films in the early 40s. Mm. Um, which, if, if you don't know, Ellery Queen was um, a character in a series of novels that was yeah. sort of like a, a detective, I guess. Right. And he acted up until 1990. Now, Chris, did you know this? He played the character of Randolph Duke. In both trading places and coming to America, I knew his name looked familiar. I'm like, wait a minute, I know this name, and I couldn't have put two and two together. But now that <laughs> now that I'm now that I'm talking about, I'm like, holy shit, that that is him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was always him. And uh, oh, what's the other actor? It was Don Amici, right? Don Amici, yes, yeah. that's right. Um, and it's funny that you brought that up because you know, of course, both of them being John Landis pictures and. Uh, well, when we get more into Wolfman, I'll, I'll, I'll explain. But yeah, he—I kept thinking of American Werewolf in London the whole time. I didn't even <laughs> think of that. Now, I didn't actually know until today that he was in Coming to America. I mean, I've only seen that once when it first came out. Yeah, him and Don Amici—they have like a brief cameo where they reprise their roles from Trading Places. It's oh. like almost, almost like almost like it takes place in the same universe, but except except for them being rich, now they're broke. They're on the street. And Eddie Murphy's character gives him money. <laughs> and, I remember that and, now. And and um, and he and then I think it's Don Amici. He turns to Rob Bombay's character and goes, "Randolph, we're back." Yeah. <laughs> I vaguely remember that now. I'm gonna have to check that oh, out again. Great. I, I kind of want to see the sequel, anyways. The Coming to America. Uh, the, 
Is it coming to America sequel? Yeah, it's already it's out. It's been out for a while now. I think it's on like yeah, Netflix or something. You're not messing. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say you're you're not messing much. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not. It's not. It's not the worst thing I've seen, but it's like it, you're just kind of like, eh. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's too funny. Yeah, I kind of heard that. So yeah. Um. Uh, then moving on here, we've got Maria Uspenskaya who plays Maliva, uh, the Romani fortune teller. She came to America with a Russian group called the Art Theater in 1922, and when the group returned to Russia, she defected to America and stayed behind. She was a major Broadway actress for more than a decade until she founded the School of Dramatic Art in New York in 1929, and then she finally had to accept roles in Hollywood in order to help fund the school. So she basically, that's why she acted throughout the rest of her career was, was for that school. Mm. From what I understand in my research, she was a force to be reckoned with. And sometimes she made it difficult for her coworkers because she was so heavily into astrology that it dictated when she could be on camera and stuff like that. Like she had an astrologer that I think was like a famous astrologer for like a famous Los Angeles newspaper. And she would tell her when she could be on camera and when she couldn't. Um huh. So it's it was much to the chagrin of the people working on these films. Is that like she would be like, "Well, I can't do this today because my astrologer says uh, today's not good," you know. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, she's a force to be reckoned with in that, and uh, you know, she was great. I thought she was really great in this. Yeah, her, her... she was really good. Oh yeah. yeah, and her lines from this film are still used to this day. Oh yeah. Do you remember? Was it Howling or American Werewolf where they showed the scene of her? Basically saying, whoever becomes bitten by a werewolf. I think it may have been Howling, but now I can't remember. Yeah, that's weird. Well, we're going to talk about her again soon because her yeah. character appears in Frankenstein Meets the Wolfman. But one thing yeah. I thought was kind of funny, I noticed this time around, there's a sh- long shot of her standing next to Chaney and she just looks so tiny. Yes, standing. I noticed that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Oh, man. And then we've got, of course, Evelyn Onkers as Gwen Conliffe. Conliffe. We talked about her in Son of Dracula and The Invisible Man's Revenge. And she was in quite a few movies, including The Mad Ghoul and Captive Wild Woman. I I liked her in this a lot, I have to say. Yeah, yeah, she was very good. She stood out, yeah. Uh, Then Patrick Knowles, which I like this guy. Um, He plays Frank Andrews. And I always liked when he he shows up in a film, you know, we're going to see him again in Frankenstein Meets the Wolfman, also playing a character named Frank, but no relation. He played a lot of leading man and supporting actor roles throughout his career. He was in in the movie Charge of the Light Brigade in 1936 and played Will Scarlet alongside Errol Errol Flynn's Robin Hood in The Adventures of Robin Hood in 1938. And his later years saw him, you know, being very concerned about being typecast, but he was in over 125 films, so that's nothing to sneeze at yeah then we've got bailey lugosi who plays bailey the gypsy how uh, appropriate <laughs> yeah i know really they couldn't come up with a, a different name <laughs> but you know he's got a brief but significant role here of course because he creates the wolfman and i feel like you know watching him in this movie he just looked great he looked really yes. dashing and he sold the part well i thought oh yeah no he did and uh it was a nice well, I shouldn't say nice surprise. I've seen it before, but uh, and seeing it again, I forgot he was in this actually. So then I see his name pop up in the credits. I'm like, wow! Like, like then when you see his name, then you know you know that you're in for a ride. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. he was great. He was great in this. <laughs> no, go, go! You must. Yeah. Go. <laughs> <laughs> 
then uh, J.M. Kerrigan played Charles Conliffe, who was Gwen's father. He was in Gone with the Wind and 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, as well as a ton of other movies. Now, mm-hmm. um, this one guy, Forrester Harvey, who played Twiddle, uh, he was in The Invisible Man and The Invisible Man Returns. I mistakenly, because I, I kind of w- watched the movies out of order from what we're talking about today. Yeah. And I thought, without giving too much away just yet, but the little girl's father in Ghost of Frankenstein, um, I saw him in that. And then I'm watching this and I'm like, oh, that's the same guy. But when I looked it up, it wasn't. So he sounded a lot like him. Huh. No, you know what? I did the same thing. I watched I watched uh, the movies a little bit a little bit out of order. Uh, I watched Ghost of Frankenstein first. For some reason, I thought the leading lady in that movie was actually. Um, we and we just went over her, and I'm blanking. Oh, here. Uh, Gwen Conliffe. Um, yes, yes. For some re- Evelyn Ockers. Yeah, for some reason, I thought it was her. Then I looked it up, and it wasn't. I'm like, oh, weird. Oh well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, and then lastly, we've got uh, Faye Helm, who played Jenny, and she wasn't in too many things. Not a lot to say about her. So uh, let's dive into the film here, Chris. Yeah. So first I have to say, this was an interesting way to introduce the cast. They show like a shot of them and their name because like no other, uh, not, none of the other movies that we discussed on this had, had done that. So I thought that was cool. Oh, I, yeah. forgot, I forgot about that. Um, and again, what a cast um, as we just broke it down, you know, Claude Rains, Al Cheney, Bell Lugosi, I mean, it's like, holy shit, it's like, you're, it's like you're, you know, you're in for a ride when you see the credits. Yeah. Yeah, and I wonder, like, how that translates today, like, if you had, like, I know they did the remake with Benicio Del Toro and Anthony Hopkins, yeah. but that just wasn't enough to sell them, well, I guess the movie itself wasn't that good anyway, so it's like, you know, th- this has not only a strong story, but the strong cast to support it, you know? Yeah, without a doubt. No, I didn't see the remake, actually. Uh, at least not yet. But, uh, yeah, I kind of heard very polarizing things about that one. It was either pretty good or wasn't that good, so. I'd say it was pretty good. I, I, yeah. I've i only seen it the one time I saw it in the movies. Um, I remember not hating it. <laughs> no, well, that's good. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah like I said, I, um, the opening shots, like with the fog, uh, again, I think it's the most atmospheric of all the universal monster movies, in my opinion. Oh yeah. Yeah. I agree. It was, it's, it's, it's definitely one of the best. And you know, um, Wagner really knew what he was doing when he put yeah. this together. Totally. Um, now folks, Spencey and I did cover this film already in 2020 during our 13 days of Hallowtober, uh, in which we were just, in which we discussed the scariest movies of all time. I showed this to him when he was a little kid and he's been in love with this movie ever since, and the Universal Classics. Uh, I think that's that's a good selling point for this movie. Is that you know it it really captures it, it captures something uh, the imagination I guess of the kids when they watch it, and especially like you and I talked about before, Chris, where you know the Wolfman sort of represents adolescence, and yeah. you know your body's changing and he can't control his emotions, you know. Right. Yeah, 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 no, that's definitely very evident here. Um, I'd say that, but I think in a way, it's sort of even like in the same way that we talked about uh, even Frankenstein. You know, Frankenstein is like a child, and, you know, he's realizing what he is. Uh, Frankenstein's monster, excuse me. Yeah. Realizing what, <laughs> realizing, realizing what the, him, him as a monster, realizing what he is and how he needs a friend. I kind of got that same vibe here as well. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. I hadn't considered that, yeah. Yeah, he he had no real support system, you know. 
Yeah, exactly. And as we see later with um, uh, Frankenstein meets the Wolfman, there's a point where one thinks he's crazy, thinking that this is happening to him. Right, right. You know, and that's, that's, you know, sometimes that happens to kids. They tell you something and nobody believes them. And then, mm-hmm. then it's a werewolf invasion. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So Larry returns home, as we said in the synopsis at the beginning, and seems to have lost his British accent, which I thought was interesting. <laughs> that is interesting. I didn't even notice that. <laughs> you know, yeah. It's like, how long was he in America? <laughs> <laughs> they don't even address it like, oh, son, you've, you've lost your accent, you know? <laughs> it's true, yeah, no. But it was funny that, you know, Sir John turns the attic into an observatory and where Larry gets to do a little uh, creepy peeping on Gwen. Yes, I, did, I noticed that. I'm like, actually, it's funny. Two things stuck out in my mind when I saw that scene. One, I kept thinking of Rear Window because, you know, you oh, gotta. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But also, my second thought was if this wasn't a movie today, people would freak. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> I think this came up when we had um, oh, who was it that we had on the show? We were talking about, it, and this scene came up because you mentioned um, the movie Peeping Tom. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that I, I still like. I never did as a kid because I didn't think anything of it. Because you know, back in the seventies, yeah, who cares? Yeah. Um, but when I watch it now, it does make me a little uncomfortable. I'm like, ooh, maybe they should have done that a little yeah, bit. Yeah, no, as as it did me. But at the same time, again, I was just like, man, I was like, man, the things that you could do back then that you couldn't do now. <laughs> right, I know. <laughs> uh, then, of course, uh, Jack Pierce did the makeup on this, which, mm-hmm. of course, another excellent job. Um, now, the makeup was originally intended for Henry Hull, who starred in The Werewolf of London a few years prior. But yeah. Henry decided he wanted to use his own makeup, so I'm kind of glad that they didn't do that. I am too. I mean, I like the makeup here too. Um, I'm not sure if I thought it was like as good as like the fra- makeup at Frankenstein, but I thought this did look really good. Yeah, yeah. You know what I think has affected our our view sometimes, and it's hard to go back. Is we're kind of now used to the more canine looking bipedal yes. werewolves, right? And right. what's cool is, a quick side note here, too, um, uh, Spencer and I have played this game, it's called, uh, it's a role-playing game uh, called Werewolf the Apocalypse, and in it, they have different cl- different forms that you can take as a werewolf, and the form that uh, Cheney has here is called the Glabro form, where you're still an upright humanoid, but you've got the hairy face, the fangs, and the claws on your hands and yeah. feet. And then there's... Uh, the Krinos form, which is the upright wolf, you know, humanoid-looking wolf, but with the giant snout and the sinewy arms and legs, that sort of thing. And then there's yeah. like, um, there's there's two other forms, which uh, like the last one is Lupin. I forget the next to last one, but they're basically, um, you know, more canine-looking as they go. And then the last one is like um, the wolf in American Wolf in London. Right. Yeah. So uh, when I think of it that way now, that's easy for me now to justify movies like this where you've got, especially back in the day, there are a few other werewolf movies where it's just a guy with, you know, like like I was a teenage werewolf. He's upright, but oh, he's sure. got the hairy face and hands. And Sure, yeah. Well, and you know, let's make another comparison for a movie that came later, The Fly, 1958. Uh, you know, that's another one where the actor is upright, you know, the head is a fly and, you know, the hand is like that of a fly. So in a way, I kind of thought about 
that as I was watching this in a weird way because it, 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 both kind of similar in that way. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it, so it, it, in that respect, it works. It makes perfect sense. It does. And it makes sense for the times too. They couldn't do mm-hmm. the, the prosthetics and the animatronics that we do today. So yeah. So yeah. So uh, uh, blah, 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 blah. Werewolf of London didn't really take with audiences. So, you know, that was good that he used this makeup here. He used yak hair. Which I feel like we mentioned that um, in a previous. Yeah. Oh, you know what? It might have been House of Dracula. When oh right, okay, yep. Cheney showed up as the Wolfman again. That's right. Yep. Um, and you, I guess the yak hair was also used in the wig for Bozo the Clown. You familiar? Is with that right? Bozo? Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> I guess Cheney was. Uh, I read something about him being allergic to the makeup, but I guess it wasn't enough to stop the production. Ah. So. And then, of course, we've got the even a man who is pure in heart and says that prayers by night may still become a wolf when the wolf bane blooms and the autumn moon is bright. That's such a classic line. That's a great line, yeah. Uh, now, part of the reason why I brought it up again here, because uh, we said it earlier, but he mentioned, it mentions that he becomes a wolf when the autumn moon is bright. So, and there was something else I just read a little while ago, maybe it was in the summary, where he's a seasonal creature. So in this reality, and they don't really harp on it because it doesn't work with the plot because uh, they need him to keep turning into the Wolfman. But my understanding, and I was talking to Spencer about this, is that he really only turns into a werewolf in the autumn. And so it may not necessarily have to be a full moon. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. I haven't done any research into that because I didn't have time. But if anyone listening has any insights on that, please message us and send us an email. Yeah. So I thought it was also interesting, too, that after he buys the cane and meets up with Gwen, he says to her, like, when he shows up that night to take her out, he goes, I wore my cane, which was a line I never really, I guess if I've heard it before, I never noticed it. But I guess back then, canes were accessories to men's clothing, like hats or ties. So you wear your hat, you wear your tie, you wear your cane. I didn't even pick up on that. Uh, That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I, I... yeah, I noticed it this time around. I I don't know if I noticed it once before, but <laughs> and then of course, you know, Gwen is realizes he's coming, even though she's telling him no, no, no. He another thing, he kind of forces himself on her, not physically, but just right. says, "Well, I'm taking you out anyways." But then she yeah. shows up with a friend, and I wonder if she was trying to set him up with Jenny. She, yeah, <laughs> that's right. Because she was engaged, so yeah, it's true. Yeah, to uh, Patrick Knowles' character, Frank. Yeah. So, and as we mentioned, this movie's been referenced in tons of movies like The Howling and American Werewolf in London. Mm-hmm. But the score in this film, dude, the score is so oh, awesome. The score's phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just one, it's one of those scores that not only gets stuck in your head, but we've heard it. We've heard bits of it in other movies. Well, particularly the transformation scenes. Yes. Yeah. Well, uh, there was, um, it's funny, I can remember first hearing the score. This is really odd, but this is where I first started. I remember seeing the Charles Gordon movie, Beethoven. There's a scene where the dog is watching the Wolfman on television. <laughs> and, and, and you hear the music and like, it just like, it gets stuck in your head. It's, it's really good. That's funny. That's funny. Yeah, there's, there's three guys listed for the music, but the one that comes to mind is Hans J. Salter. I think he's the um he's like the main force behind a lot of this m- music. Yeah. Um, especially in like the ones that we've been covering, like the main monster characters. Right. 
there was something you reminded me of with the with the Beethoven line, but that's pretty oh. funny. <laughs> oh, you know what? I I had um, I, again another aside, but when I was a kid, I remember it was a big deal when King Kong versus Godzilla came on TV. Yes. And at the beginning, he's fighting the octopus, and they were using music from the Creature from the Black Lagoon. And I remember, I think I was like really? 10 in like 1980. I'm like, wait a minute, that's Creature from the Black Lagoon. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Oh, my God. But um, then, you know, as we go on, things start to get out of control. And then Ralph Bellamy goes, wolf, gypsy, murder, what's going on here? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I love how he delivers that line. Yeah. <laughs> and of course, they find the cane by Bela the Gypsy's body. Would it have been covered in blood? There's a few instances like that throughout this movie where I thought the same thing. I'm like, well, wait a minute. Wouldn't there be blood? Wouldn't this happen? But I mean, I tried to, you know, suspend disbelief a little bit. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I, I don't know. Maybe it's just police work in the 1940s. I mean, they, they contaminate the crime scenes all the time, and then they even give Talbot his cane back. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, wouldn't they, like, examine his clothes to see? Remember, he's, he kept saying, oh, the, the thing, you know, ripped through my shirt and, and my jacket and bit me. Oh, yeah. No, exactly. <laughs> you know, examine the blood that was on his coat. I don't know. Exactly. Um, although I thought did think it was a cool touch. I think it was uh, the character Frank's dog didn't like Talbot because obviously he was yeah. sensing the werewolf. I like, yeah, I did. I like that too. And uh, that scene, that scene in particular, was what reminded me of American Werewolf in London. There's a scene just like that in American Werewolf in London, where he goes near a dog, it starts barking, you know. So like those like little touches, like you can see where John Landis got his inspiration. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, so then Frank comments on how Talbot seems tragic somehow. He says that to Gwen, which is kind of cool because it's foreshadowing the tragic path that he's going. Yeah. Down. I noticed that. And then, and then Larry sort of has some kind of, well, I call it shell shock, but everyone else today calls it PTSD because he flips out at the carnival yeah. shooting range when the wolf target pops up. Yeah, I really like that scene. I really, I also like the scene that was following that one where he and Gwen are right by a tree and he gives her a necklace. I just thought that was like a really nice scene. Yeah. And then, and then right after that scene happens, there's like this like, really cool montage of all this like surreal imagery and like these like you know these weird thoughts are in his head i mean it's it's terrific yeah oh yeah that's i remember thinking the first time i saw that like going what the heck is going on here yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man but you know what folks this movie sets up all the rules for werewolves that we still adhere to for the most part today you know silver f the full moon wolfbane the pentagram, uh, the pentagram not so much, is not used all that often. But being bitten causes the victim to turn into a werewolf if they live. Which, one thing about this movie that always bothered me is we don't actually get to see the wound. You know, that bothered me too. When he first shows it to, uh, I think he showed it to like a doctor or somebody. And I'm, and uh, seeing it again, just recently, I, I was a little bit frustrated that we didn't get to see that there was no wound. Right, and for some reason, I remember it looking like a pentagram. So I don't yeah. know if was maybe House of Dracula. Did they show it then? Oh, you know I don't remember. I I don't either. <laughs> um, after a while, they do kind of blur together. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so I always thought that was weird, and I I never really understood that aspect of the werewolf. Like he he sees the pentagram in the hand of his next victim, 
which I guess for plot purposes here that works, but I think beyond this movie, it's not really necessary. Yeah, exactly. He's a werewolf. He's just going to kill whatever comes yeah, to him. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> now, in the first transformation, we only get to see his feet transform, which mm-hmm. also was made up by Jack Pierce. Um, yeah. But, oh, one other thing, too, that they establish is that werewolves heal fast because the next day he's got a scar instead of a gash on his chest. That's true, yeah. Well, and going back to that uh, to that first transformation, uh, by today's standards, it's not great, but for the time, that, that was pretty cool. I mean, the cross dissolves going in and out. I mean, you know, looking at it today, it's like it's like, yeah, whatever. But if you think about the context of the <laughs> the context of the times, it does work, you know. Oh yeah, it must have blown people away. And I I guarantee you ninety percent of the audience was like, How the hell did they do that? Yeah. <laughs> Because if you didn't know better, it looks like he's transforming. Yeah, exactly. Um, one thing I do like about this movie is how Maliva comes to help him because she feels bad because her son was the one that turned him into the werewolf. Yeah. Basically passed on the curse, which um, it was funny because she gives him the protection necklace and then he hands it off to Gwen. That's right. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Wasn't that like, supposed to stop him from transforming? Or something? I know. Yeah. <laughs> But, you know, he gets caught in a bear trap, and then he reverts to human, which those things are spring-loaded. So even if it's – let's say your leg is like the Hulk, and it goes yeah. – it bites your leg or whatever. It snaps on your leg, but then he turns back to Bruce Banner. Wouldn't the pressure of the, the teeth still continue through and just, you know, trash his human leg? See, that's what I thought, too. And, like, actually, my first thought was, okay, he gets caught by the bear trap. Like, when he – like – bleed a lot right <laughs> and there was literally nothing on his leg yeah yeah i'm like wow <laughs> all right he must, have, he must have skin of steel i don't know he could still be injured he just can't be killed by it right <laughs> <laughs> but then of course as we kind of said in the in the uh some in the synopsis he's um he ends rather tragically where his dad comes in and, and basically, you know, cracks him on the head with the silver cane, which I love the irony of that. Oh, yeah. It, that's just so cool. It's just such a great concept. That's one of the things I think that makes this movie so cool is that whole, not really a twist at the end, but just that whole irony at the end of the film. Yeah, without a doubt. Well, and uh, the other thing about the ending, too, is um, Claude Rains' reaction to when he realized he killed his son. Yes. I mean, it's there. there's something that's, uh, you know, and one of the things that you, that you notice is that he doesn't scream. He doesn't yell. He's very subdued. He's very subtle. I thought that was a really good choice. Yeah. Yeah. It does end rather quickly, though. <laughs> yeah, it does. Well, and one other thing I want to point out, too, is I don't know if you noticed it, but during his second transformation, Actually, well, because there's only two transformations in the whole movie, which a little weird, but whatever. Yeah. <laughs> his, uh, in his second transformation, when he's walking back into the woods, did you notice that they used reused a shot that they used for the first transformation, like like a shot of like his legs walking? I'm like, wait a minute. I'm like, wait a minute. We just saw that shot. Oh, that's funny. I didn't notice that. <laughs> but I think I did notice. Wasn't he when he was tied to the chair? He had a um like a a tank top shirt on. And then when he's the Wolfman, he's got a full, you know, he's got like a bu- full, full, full blown long sleeve shirt. Yeah, yeah buttoned down, <laughs> buttoned down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I did notice that. Yeah, 
it's like oh i guess i guess the wolf change comes with a change of clothes yes (laughs) (laughs) i mean the incredible hulk suddenly had purple pants so there you go right (laughs) it's it's gotta be that they they realized oh crap we only have enough budget to do makeup on his hands and face right We got to give him the full shirt. Got to give him the full shirt. Yep. But he's not wearing that in the other scene. Shh, 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 nobody will notice. <laughs> <laughs> Except for two guys on a podcast in 2022. Right, right. <laughs> oh, that is one thing I always did pick up on as a kid. I'm like, wait a minute. What happened there? Oh, well. <laughs> but then it's funny, though, because in the end, it just goes to the end, pretty much. Yeah. Um, you don't get yeah. a chance to digest what happened. You don't get to see. Uh, Claude Rains' full reaction, his devastation at what he had done. Although, right. part of me thinks you almost didn't need to see that. You could really just, like yeah. you said, just based on his performance there, you could see where he was going with that. Yeah, no, his reaction alone just said enough. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's funny, though, we do see that, because you had mentioned this last time, I forget which movie it was, that it just sort of seemed to end abruptly. I think it was Son of Frankenstein, wasn't it? Yeah, I think it was that, yeah. Actually, I found that quite a few of these movies, they, they end pretty abruptly, I've noticed. Yeah. And it, I noticed that on, on our other show, The East Meets the West, where we did the spaghetti westerns, and more particularly the Shaw Brothers Kung Fu films, it'll just be like, oh, final fight, quick, 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 quick. bad guy's dead, the end. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, so, well, 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 again, you also have to factor in, too, that these movies... The majority of these movies are just a little over an hour long, so they probably figured, okay, yeah, they probably figured, yeah, okay, uh, uh, we we have seven reels to to get this movie shown, so seven reels, all this has to, so trying trying to cram that much into seventy minutes, I mean that that's insane. Yeah, yeah, that's true, and that's uh, and they were also made to be on double features, so yeah, time, right, exactly. time was a factor. Right. So, Chris, final thoughts on the Wolfman from nineteen forty one. Oh, one of my one of my all time favorites of this series for sure. Um, for me, it's right up there with uh, with, with the ones I with the ones I do love, uh, Frankenstein, Invisible Man. Yeah, I think it's fantastic. I agree. I agree. It is also one of my all time favorites, and you know, I love everything about this movie. I just find it, found that it, even more so this time around. It's just exciting and thrilling and fast paced. Mm-hmm. Um, the music, of course, is great and iconic. Uh, Cheney, the whole cast are just awesome in this, and it's it's pretty close to being a perfect film. You know, we did point out a few yeah. of the flaws, um, but I highly recommend this, and I think this is a great one to introduce people to the classics. You know, I think we had mentioned you could do Frankenstein or The Invisible Man, but this is right up there with one that if someone's never seen them, show it to them, and they'll really be hooked. Yeah, no, I feel like this movie is like it's one of those movies where you hear the term universal monster uh, monster movie. You either think of Dracula, Frankenstein, or the Wolfman. It's always like those three, I feel right. like. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Okay, folks, so we're going to take a break, and next up when we return is going to be The Ghost of Frankenstein from 1942. Prepare for a spine-tingling, nerve-shattering podcast featuring all your favorite monsters. You won't believe your ears when you listen to Monster, Monster Kid, Kid Radio. Hear your host, Derek M. Cook, and his ever-rotating stable of guests discuss your favorite classic and sometimes not-so-classic monster movies. Subscribe to Monster Kid Radio through iTunes or Stitcher, or visit monsterkidradio.net before the next weekly episode of Monster, Monster Kid, Kid Radio. Radio. 
go through the archives for interviews with Sarah Karloff, Victoria Price, and Joel Hodgson. Listen to discussions about movies like Creature from the Black Lagoon, Island of Terror, and King Kong. And don't forget convention coverage from Monster Bash and the HP Lovecraft Film Festival. Classic monsters, modern talk, and the head of Rondo Hatton, only on Monster Kid Radio. Hello, this is Rod Barnett. I'm the host of The Bloody Pit, the podcast that examines films from across the decades. On The Bloody Pit, we have several ongoing series of shows within the show focused on specific things in genre cinema that I and my co-hosts find fascinating. There's a long-running series focused on Italian maestro Antonio Margheriti's films from the 1960s all the way up through 1990. There's an on-again, off-again series focused on 1970s science fiction films. There's an in-depth look at the Western movies that William Castle made before he struck out on his own and became the horror auteur that we know and love. A look at the classic Coffin Joe films from Brazil. And our long-term project to look at every universal horror film made in the 1940s. That's a long project, people. It's going to take us a long time. Sprinkled in amongst those are various other episodes focused on other stranger areas of cinema, like uh, Lucio Fulci, Dario Argento, and even some obscure British crime films from time to time. So join me and my rotating crew of co-hosts as we examine the stranger side of cinema through an exploitation lens. Except when we don't? Yeah, you never really know exactly what to expect on The Bloody Pit. So join me for The Bloody Pit. Are you a lifelong fan of General Hospital? Are you a new fan who wants to know more about the history of the show? Do you enjoy talking about the show with others? Do you find yourself yelling at the TV? Is your self-care an hour a day in Port Charles? If so, we invite you to join hosts Amanda Kimmel and Shannon Coach at the place where all the hidden conversations take place and secrets are revealed. Meet us at Pier 54, a General Hospital fan podcast. Okay, and we're back, and now we are going to discuss the film Ghost of Frankenstein from 1942. There's a curse on our village. The curse of Frankenstein. creation of man, the monster of Frankenstein, stalks again. Here is drama completely strange, full of weird suspense. With this great cast, Sir Cedric Hardwick, Lionel Atwill, Ralph Bellamy, Bela Lugosi, Evelyn Ankers, Lon Chaney, in the gripping tale of a monster the tomb cannot engulf, 
chains cannot hold. You're going to give him life? Yes. Not for the purposes that you think, Igor. I'm giving him another brain. Is that your shower, Hussman? Yes, yes. Residents of the village of Frankenstein feel that they're under a curse and blame all their troubles on Frankenstein's monster. The mayor allows them to destroy Frankenstein's castle. Igor finds the monster released from his sulfuric tomb by the explosions. The exposure to the sulfur weakened yet preserved the monster. Igor and the monster flee the castle and the monster is struck by a bolt of lightning. Igor decides to find Ludwig, the second son of Henry Frankenstein, to help the monster regain his strength. Ludwig Frankenstein is a doctor who, along with his assistants Dr. Kittering and Dr. Theodore Balmer, has successful practice in Assyria. Balmer was formerly Ludwig's teacher but is now his envious assistant. Igor and the monster arrive in Viseria, where the monster befriends a young girl. The monster carries her onto a roof to retrieve her ball, killing two villagers who attempt to intervene. After the young girl asks the monster to bring her back down, the monster returns the girl to her father, her husband, and is immediately captured by police. The town prosecutor, Eric Ernest, comes to Ludwig and asks him to examine the giant they have captured. Igor then visits Ludwig and informs him that the giant is the monster. Uh, Igor implores Ludwig to heal the monster's body and brain. Ludwig refuses, but Igor threatens to reveal Ludwig's ancestry to the villagers. At the police station, the monster is restrained with chains as a hearing is conducted to investigate the murder of the villagers. When Ludwig denies recognizing the monster, it breaks free in a fit of rage and is led away by Igor. Elsa, Ludwig's daughter, finds Frankenstein's journals and learns the story of the monster. She sees Igor and the monster in the window after breaking into Ludwig's laboratory and the monster kills Dr. Kittering. The monster grabs Elsa, but Ludwig is able to subdue him with knockout gas. Ludwig is examining the monster when it awakens and tries to kill him. Ludwig tranquilizes the monster and tries to enlist Balmer's aid in dissecting him. Balmer refuses, claiming it would be murder. While studying his family's journals, Ludwig is visited by the ghost of his father, Henry Frankenstein. The spirit implores him to supply the monster with a good brain. Ludwig calls in Balmer and Igor and tells them that he plans to put Dr. Kittering's brain into the monster's skull. Igor protests and asks Ludwig to use his brain, but Ludwig refuses because Igor's sinister nature. Elsa begs Ludwig to stop his experiments, but he chooses to operate on the monster as soon as possible. Igor tells Balmer that he should not be subordinate to Ludwig. Igor promises to help the disgraced doctor if he agrees to put Igor's brain into the monster. The police soon arrive at Ludwig's house, searching for the monster. They find the secret room, but Igor and the monster have fled. The monster abducts the young girl from her home and returns with her in his arms to Ludwig's chateau. The monster conveys his desire for her brain to be placed in his head. The young girl does not want to lose her brain, and the monster reluctantly gives her to Elsa. Ludwig then performs the surgery, not knowing that Balmer has replaced Kittering's brain with Igor's. 
in the village, her husband rouses his neighbors by telling them his daughter has been captured by the monster and that Ludwig is harboring it. Ludwig shows the monster to Eric, but when the monster rises, Ludwig is shocked to hear that it has Igor's voice. The villagers storm the chateau and the Igor monster decides to have Bomber fill the house with gas to kill them. Ludwig tries to stop him, but the Igor monster repels and attacks and mortally wounds Ludwig. The Igor monster suddenly goes blind. The wounded Ludwig explains that the blindness is a result of the incompatibility between the blood types of Igor and the monster. Feeling betrayed, the Igor monster then throws Bomber onto the apparatus, electrocuting him, and inadvertently sets fire to the chateau. The Igor monster becomes trapped in the burning chateau while Eric and Elsa escape, walking into the sunrise. So, uh, what was your thoughts on this one? Um, well, this is another one of my favorites. Uh, I've probably seen this House of Frankenstein and the Wolfman, and maybe Frankenstein meets the Wolfman the most of all the Universal classics. Um, I just I love how this transitions from uh, Igor being the hunchback assistant to the monster into the next film that we're going to talk about, where Lugosi plays the monster instead of Igor. Um, so you could almost justify why that happens. But, yeah. you know, this isn't quite a monster mashup film, but I just thought it was fun. And, you know, like I said, this is just one of those movies that I've seen uh, quite a few times over the years. Yeah, and you know, this is my first time seeing it. I was actually surprised how much I enjoyed this one. I thought it was just going to be kind of like how we discussed with the Mummy movies, how the sequels slowly got worse and worse, and how, you know, with Invisible Man, there were a couple sequels that were either not as good, they were okay, and Dracula sort of the same thing. This is one of the few uh, series of movies that we discussed where so far all the movies have held up pretty well. I'm especially surprised by this one because I actually really enjoy this one a lot. Oh, yeah. Yeah. This one is really fun. I think that's part of why probably when I was younger, I watched it quite a bit because just it's the this next stretch of movies are much different than those god awful mummy sequels. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's unfortunate, but true. But like, but to your point, I think one of the best things about this movie is how much uh, Igor is given to do here. I mean, he's taken from being a side character to a main, pretty much a main character, which I think is great. Yeah. Yeah. And I love that his character carries over from Son of Frankenstein. Yeah, for sure. But it's also the interesting story of like what happens when the assistant becomes power hungry, which I don't think we've seen a lot of uh, in these sort of mad scientist movies. Right. Right, exactly, exactly. And Lugosi puts on a great performance. It's so it's so fun to see him in like a full-on, you know, supporting character role. Yeah, without a doubt. Or, you know, almost a main character in this, I would say. Yeah, I, I would agree with that for sure. So this film was directed by Earl C. Kenton, who also directed House of Frankenstein and House of Dracula, which we already covered, as well as a ton of other films, including a few Abbott and Costello movies. I thought the directing here was solid. Yeah, I thought so too. Not quite so atmospheric as the Wolfman say, but um, right. it, it almost didn't need it. I mean, I suppose you could have. It's a horror movie, you know. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I I feel like the directing here was pretty adequate, if not, you know, above average. You know, I thought it was a lot of fun. It moved really well. Yeah, yeah. The pacing was very good in this one, and I thought it was smartly written. You know, it's like yeah. I mean. Try to figure out the logic. So this guy is Wolf's brother then, because he's the second son. Right. So I thought that was interesting, trying to figure out the, the continuity there. Because the continuity gets a little, not continuity, but the family gets a little bit skewed, especially when we get to the next film. Um, 
But uh, right. the, <laughs> now the movie was written by a couple guys, Scott Darling, who wrote uh, over 206 films. And the ones that stood out to me, uh, or actually the one that stands out to me, is he wrote Sherlock Holmes and the Secret Weapon, which is one of those Basil Rathbone, mm-hmm. Nigel Bruce movies where they play Holmes and Watson. Um, yeah. And the other guy who I guess came up with the original story is Eric Taylor. And he's written quite a few of those Ellery Queen movies that Ralph Bellamy starred in that we talked about earlier. Mm. So I thought that was interesting. And, of course, we've got Lon Chaney Jr. back. as uh, This time he's playing the monster, right. um, the Frankenstein monster. So we've already talked about him. But Cedric Hardwick, uh, I'm sorry, Sir Cedric Hardwick played Dr. Ludwig Frankenstein. And he's the narrator in War of the Worlds. If you recall, yeah. at the beginning and the end, uh, he was also in the Ten Commandments, uh, Suspicion, which I think is a Hitchcock film, right? It is, yep. Yeah, one of the best ones, in my opinion. Oh yeah, okay. And then uh, Around the World in Eighty Days, and we've already talked about him in The Invisible Man Returns and The Invisible Agent. And I may mm-hmm. have said this before on the show, but as a kid, I always confused him with Lionel Atwell. Like, no, yeah, I remember you saying that. Yeah. Especially in this movie, I remember watching it probably maybe the first or second time. I'm like, wait a minute, now which guy is which? Right. <laughs> so I thought he he did a great performance here. You know, I tell you, his performance really, um, for me, was the best performance in the movie. And there were a lot of great performances in this movie. Yeah. Yeah, he definitely, I liked the whole, you know, he's, no, he wants nothing to do with it. He's even changed his name. Or doesn't really change his name. But for whatever reason, he doesn't want the people to know that he's, you know, connected to the monster. But then right. he sees the monster, and he's like, "Well, actually, I could do something pretty cool with it, you know." Yeah, so that so that's where this uh, so that's where Mel Brooks got the idea of the uh, of the son that didn't want to be associated. Right, right, yeah, probably. Yeah. <laughs> well, even Wolf didn't want to really, right? He he didn't want to be yeah, associated. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So you know, the two of them, the brothers. <laughs> Uh, we've got Ralph Bellamy back, who plays Eric Ernst. Lionel Atwell is Dr. Theodore Bomer. Bela Lugosi, as we mentioned, plays Igor, which he just gives a great performance here. Yeah. Um, Evelyn, Ankers, Evelyn Ankers, who we saw in The Wolfman, is Gwen. She plays Elsa Frankenstein. Now, I f- would you guess then that the reason his daughter is named Elsa is he named her after his brother's wife? No, I had no idea. Oh, okay. I'm I'm just thinking because that was Wolf's wife's name. Say so that oh, okay. was Elsa. Okay. Who was also Elsa Lanchester, of course, played the Bride of Frankenstein. Yeah. Uh, Janet Ann Gallo played the little girl whose name we couldn't really pronounce, so we didn't say you it. You can't it's pronounce the name. Yeah. <laughs> Cloestine Husman, I guess. Cloestine Husman, yeah. <laughs> I, I I just skipped over it when I was reading it in uh Yeah. I, I noticed, by the way, in the summary that I, I just cut and pasted the summary from online, and it's spelled Visaria like three different ways. Really? <laughs> yeah. One V I V A, and I don't know if it was the third one, but. Huh. But this girl, she's grown up now. I think she's since passed away, but I think a year or two ago, she was on Gilbert Gottfried's podcast. Oh, no way. Yeah, and she remembered it too. She remembered the movie, making the movie. Wow. That, um, that's something to listen to. Um, and then we've got a f- quite a few others in the cast that we don't really need to go over, except, of course, Dwight Fry plays one of the villagers, who yep. folks you may remember as Renfield. And didn't we see him? He was like a a villager in one of the Invisible Man movies or something. I think he was, yeah. It might have been Invisible... The one with Vincent Price, so Returns, I think. Uh, 
yes, returns. Yep. Yeah. So, yeah, so the villagers, of course, want to blow up Castle Frankenstein, but mm-hmm. I like that whole scene with Igor, you know, knocking those boulders off the tar- the parapet. So, sorry, say again? I said I like the scene where they go to attack the castle and Igor's on top of the parapet and he's knocking those giant cinder blocks off. Yeah, yeah, I like I like that too. But, but here's the weird thing. Didn't, didn't Igor die in the last movie? He got shot five times, I think. <laughs> because I'm, I'm like, wait, I'm like, wait a minute, how is he alive? I, I don't know. Oh, <laughs> well, he's Igor. There's no explanation. <laughs> I wrote in my notes, Igor is alive within a couple exclamation points. He's alive. He's alive. <laughs> <laughs> it's difficult. I mean, they, they try to hang him, and that didn't take. So That's true. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> maybe he's um, <laughs> maybe he's secretly, um. oh, who's the Russian guy there? Um, oh, my God. I should know this. Um. Christopher Lee played him. Remember that Russian? Oh, yes. I think I know I know what you're talking they about. They hung him. Can't... They poisoned him. They tied him yeah. up and threw him in the water. Right, right. Rasputin. Oh, okay. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That that maybe he's Rasputin. <laughs> <laughs> but I thought it was cool though that the monster was preserved in the sulfur pit that he fell from. The sulfur yeah. is good for your skin. I mean it has saved you. <laughs> <laughs> But of course, the castle gets flattened when they they bomb it. So, um, Frankenstein's monster and Igor go off to Viseria, which is where Ludwig lives. Mm-hmm. And we're going to see that town again in the next movie that we're going to talk about. Um, and as you said, the monster befriends the little girl. I thought it was kind of cool because I felt like instead of killing her and you know tossing her around or whatever, he befriends her. Which you and I yeah. have been talking about the growth of the Frankenstein monster as a character. Yeah, for sure. I mean, not only does it harken back to the original movie with the uh, the girl by the water, but uh, this uh, almost like strengthens that in a way. Almost like he's learned from what happened last time, and it's like there, there's like a weird evolution there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's it's yeah. just cool. I like that. It's like I almost think the writers did it unconsciously because they mm-hmm. weren't really paying a whole heck of a lot of attention to continuity. Yeah, no, but well, um, just before that scene happens, there's a scene with uh, Igor and with the monster, and there's this one line that Igor says to the monster that I just, I wrote it down because I loved it. It was, Frankenstein was your father, your mother was the lightning. I just thought that was just absolutely yeah. such a beautiful line. Yeah, very, very poetic. I like that. Yeah, very poetic and very like, uh, just something about that I thought was just like really intelligent writing. And that scene, too, we kind of skipped over, but where, you know, he pulls him out of the sulfur and then he's standing out in the field getting struck by lightning and he's recharging from that. And at first, Igor's like, no, no, no. And then he sees, oh, the lightning is your mother. You know, uh, that was a great scene. Yeah, yeah, no, it was a great scene. It was, uh, you know, I I think there is where Bela Lugosi really shined in his character. Yes. Along with the ending, which we'll get to, but yeah. Yeah. I also like the scene where obviously the monster is, is, I guess he's weak. That's why he has to go to Frankenstein, but the lightning recharges him enough that he breaks the chains, which yeah. I thought was a great scene. Yeah, that was a great scene. They've got a, the, the villages. The, a lot of angry villages in these movies. <laughs> <laughs> they are. And of course, yeah. Igor's got that demented clarinet again, but... He, of course. He does use it to soothe the monster. I guess in now, now that you've brought it up in Young Frankenstein, it was um, Igor used the violin, right? Yeah, that's right. Yep, yep, he used the violin. Yeah. 
That's funny because now I can hear that tune in my head. <laughs> well, isn't the one that were like, isn't the one they were also doing uh, that dance, him and uh, Gene Wilder, if you're blue and you don't know where to go? Yeah, but that, I don't, was there a violin in that? I can't remember if it was that scene or if it was uh, early. I can't remember now. It was, I just but, remember Marty Feldman using it like up on the castle trying to yeah, call the monster re- back. Yeah, that's right. Okay, yeah, yeah. I'm getting them mixed up with the, yeah. uh, where they're dancing on the stage. Right, right, right. Putting on the Ritz was the song. Put on the rats, yeah, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> I love that song. And there's a version. There's an '80s version of that that was really popular by a band, oh, really? band called Taco. It's probably the one yeah. you've heard. You may have heard it. Probably. And then, um, uh, oh, did you notice that the daughter's dress? The way the pattern is, it looks like there's these two. Like the top half is a light color, and the bottom half is black. But <laughs> I it, know what you're gonna say. <laughs> it looks like two hands, like one on each of her boobs. It's. <laughs> <laughs> my wife, my it's wife, true. my wife goes. Why does her shirt? Why does her dress have hands on her boobs? <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. That's wonder, true. <laughs> I wonder if, like, the designer did that on purpose to, like, sort of give the finger to the code or something. Right. <laughs> we can't show real hands, so we'll make her dress. Oh no, it's so. Pattern. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> But then the, her father locks the door on her and the monster, and he runs away. And you're like, did you think, like, oh, my God, he's just going to leave them? Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, did you notice, too, like, how when he goes to when he goes to bring her up to get her ball, he knocks a villager down. Oh, that's right, I yeah. I couldn't help but laugh because it just looked like such a bad stunt. Yeah. He probably killed that guy too, doing that. Probably, yeah. <laughs> but like he just, but but whoever the stunt person was, he, or the actor, just like he pushes him, he does like this weird like flip. I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, okay, yeah, that doesn't look right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and now that I think about it, there's something about you know, I I want to say you know everyone's performance in this was great, but I don't know. I felt like Cheney was kind of phoning it in. He looked constipated through the whole movie. <laughs> I mean, well, you could probably excuse that he was playing a kind of an emotionless uh, monster, but yeah, but I, no, it's true. I do see your point there. <laughs> like I remember, just remember the look of he's on his face when he's knocking that guy off, and he's just kind of grimacing. And yeah, it's like he didn't. I don't know. I th- I felt like he had more pathos when he played the mummy. One of those times, yeah, we talked about. I agree. Yeah. You know, you could see him emoting through the makeup, but in this, he doesn't really do a whole heck of a lot of that. But, but he's yeah. still Cheney, so you got to love him, anyways. Yeah, of course. Yeah. But of course, Doctor Frankenstein has happens to have a button that he pushes, or a dial, or something, a switch, and he's got knockout gas in his house. That um, because he's safely behind one door, everybody else gets knocked out. So, but well, like, but like what? But like, but like, when couldn't it happen where he accidentally knocks out himself? <laughs> Yeah, well, <laughs> it's like it's like it's like why have that in your own laboratory? That's what I was gonna say. It's like, wait a minute, you know, and, uh, and we'll come back to that again because we that does come into play. It does later come back, like, yeah, it does. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's such an odd choice. Why? Why would you? Have yeah, that? yeah, yeah. It was a really odd choice. <laughs> <laughs> but now getting into the doctors, I did like the moral dilemma where. You know, uh, Ludwig was going to dissect the creature, and At- Lionel Atwell's character was like, you know, that would be murder. Right. And he's like, well, he's not human. 
you know. So I thought that was kind right. of a cool little morality discussion there. Yeah, I like that. I also like I like that aspect. I like how throughout the story, particularly when the monster is in court, you know, and and uh, you know he's more exposed to the people in the town. And there's a moral dilemma there too. It's like, you know, is he a human being? Is he not? You know, uh, that part of it too, I thought was nicely explored. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I did like that. Would have liked a little bit more of that in this movie, but I yeah. think it would have slowed the pacing down probably. Yeah, I agree. Um, then, of course, Henry Frankenstein, who is not Cullen Clive, appears and <laughs> tells him to use another brain. And so, you know, Ludwig decides to use the, the dead doctor's brain, the guy, the doctor that the monster just walked in and killed the guy right off the bat. Right. <laughs> well, I, well, I, well, we also have to mention this is where the title finally comes into play because I'm watching. I'm thinking, I'm thinking, wait a minute. I'm thinking, I'm thinking, wait a minute. Why is this called Ghost of Frankenstein? Wait, it's like, I'm just like, I'm just like, where's the ghost? Then when it appears, I'm like, oh, that's why. <laughs> God, I didn't even think of that. That's hilarious. Well, because the whole time I'm like, wait a minute. I'm like, wait, I'm like, wait a minute, ghost of what? Like, I'm like, because, so and I didn't even think of it. And I'm, and I'm thinking, did the title get it wrong? Did they, did they refer to the monster as Frankenstein? And somehow this version of the monster is a ghost because he's resurrected now? Like, I, I don't, I got really confused by that. That's awesome. That's a great catch, dude. I mean, all my 51 years on this planet, I, I never noticed that in this movie. And I mean, I saw <laughs> the ghost, but I never put the connection together. I think part yeah. of it is because you have other movies like The Mummy's Ghost, which that has nothing to do with the film. So right. <laughs> I just kind of ignored it. Oh, that's the title. Just of kind the of film. accepted it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, my other thought was, did they like run out of titles and they figured, okay, well, this will do. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've used Bride. We've used Son. We, you know, what else can we use? Yeah. Well, yeah. What else can we do? <laughs> that's hilarious. But I do like soon, that. Soon, soon we have to do House. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> The Sorry, son yeah. of house and the, yeah, that's right. Son of house, bride of the house, <laughs> bride of the house, <laughs> bride of the bride of the ghost. Yeah, ghost, the ghost, ghost of the house. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the ghost the ghost of the house. <laughs> you could do a funny parody movie where it's like the ghost of the house of the bride of Frank. That's right. <laughs> um, I do like the fact that Igor wants his brain to go into the monster, which is it's his, isn't it? His explanation I thought was really interesting because he's like, well, yeah. you know, I've got five bullets still stuck in me and he's, uh, you know, humongous and, you know, we could be together forever. <laughs> well, and I also liked, too, how he says that the reason he wants to be together with him is because they're friends. I'm just like, there's something kind of endearing about that, even though he's supposed to be a villain in this thing. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He's he's not. I guess he's a villain. I almost feel like Igor's just more of this self-serving dude who's out for himself. However, yeah. he has this, you know, brotherly love for the creature, so that's kind of his soft spot. Yeah. You know, cuz basically he tries to keep to himself and he's always the one getting attacked and having to defend himself against angry villagers. Yeah. Well, and I guess I guess in a way you could argue that uh that Igor is I guess in a way he's he's in some way a monster himself in how he looks and how he's misunderstood. Oh yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's true. He does have a little bit of growth of character when he befriends in the last movie when he befriends the monster. True. Yeah. A bit of a story arc there. I thought it was interesting too, though, as the um, the cops bust into the castle to search the place, and there's no Igor, no monster, but why didn't they find the dead doctor's body? Yeah, right. Yeah, you know. <laughs> 
Oh, man. And then the monster goes and takes the little girl from her room and accidentally sets the house on fire. And then they come in. I, I think, the, the, I don't know where they were talking about it, but they're talking about it and they're like, it's been two weeks. We need to start looking for, her. you know, something to that effect. Like they waited two uh, weeks. <laughs> well, well, and also that scene is like, how did the monster know where she lived to go pick her up? That's a good point. <laughs> I hadn't even thought of that. I mean, I mean, because when he went to go grab the ball, he wasn't. I, I mean, the movie doesn't indicate if he's like near where she lived. Uh, but so I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, okay, well, how did he know that? <laughs> and he's so tall, he's got to bend over to get into the doorway. Right, right. <laughs> oh man, and uh, yeah, that's a good point. It's like it's not like he's Michael Myers where he can home in on her or anything. Yeah, it's like yeah, it's like what do you do? Did he like did he like did he look her up in the yellow pages? Did he uh, Google her? Like <laughs> right. <laughs> so two weeks later, the villagers get angry and they decide to storm the castle. They kind of figure out that that's got to be where the girl is. Um, and meanwhile, Igor manages to. I actually I like this little subplot here where Igor is talking to Lionel Atwell's character and basically convinces him that if yeah. you use my brain instead of Doctor Bomer's. Um, I'll, you know, we could be a force to be reckoned with in the world. I'll, I'll make you powerful. Yeah. And I thought that was kind of cool in the way he really, he really does mull it over, but then decides to go for it. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, and the reveal when it finally happens is really nice. Yeah. I am Igor. Even though obviously yeah. his voice was dubbed over, but it's still, it works. It's, yeah. No. And you know, you know something I have to say when it first happened. Uh, I literally had an audible oh shit moment because <laughs> I was like, <laughs> and that's one of the few times where it's actually happened to me while watching a movie alone. Where I was like, oh shit, <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Because I, I did not expect that, but yeah, I mean the voice was not well dubbed. I mean you could <laughs> you yeah. could tell it was dubbed, but but man, that reveal just works really well. It does. It does. I would almost swear from Cheney's lip work that he was trying to mimic Lugosi's voice when he was doing that. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for sure <laughs> but oh that was that was just so well done and then and then but then the whole you know the monster's blinded because the blood type oh my gosh <laughs> because science <laughs> yeah i i couldn't help but just start laughing i was like huh right <laughs> wait a minute what <laughs> why i don't i don't understand what their thinking was behind that i know i know I really don't, because then it sets him up, because this, the blindness kind of carries over into the rest of the times that we'll see Frankenstein in the movies, and uh, I, I I just don't understand why it, couldn't the ca the castle just have collapsed on all of them, and then that was it, you know? Right, right. Or or end another fire, which it does. Right. I, I was thinking of you when I saw that. I'm like, oh, it ended <laughs> another fire. Uh, yeah, another fire. <laughs> <laughs> so... One thing I think is awesome is that this is your first time watching it. So, um, what are your final thoughts on the ghost of Frankenstein? You know what? I really, I really enjoyed this one. I think it's um, it's one of the few sequels we've seen this whole series that we've been doing where it's actually on par with with the rest of the movies in the series. Like, I could watch, I could actually watch Frankenstein, Bride of Frankenstein, um, uh, Son of Frankenstein, and this one. And like not be bored by them or not think, oh, it's that next one that's coming that I don't like. Oh, I should, oh, should I skip it? Should I, you know, like they're all enjoyable, all on the same level. Right, right, yeah, absolutely. Um, I I love this one too. Uh, probably not as much as some of the others, but 
Um, I don't know if I mentioned this earlier, but when I was in my late teens, they released these on VHS. So I know <laughs> I grabbed this one because I still have it, um, as yeah. well as um, uh, I, I miswrote in my notes to sit in the same movie. Um, but I, I bought this one. I got uh, Frank Sent Me to the Wolfman and a bunch of others, and I got all the Creature from the Black Lagoon movies. So, you know, that was a great time when they all came out on VHS. Um, and I didn't actually get, like, I don't think I have Dracula or Frankenstein on VHS. I might, but it would explain, though, why I saw them so much, because I had them readily available, yeah. you know? Yeah. Well, you know, and I'm glad that uh, they're getting such good treatment on home video, um, you know, with all the, uh, with the legacy collections. After, actually, after, um, after buying, uh, sorry, after watching these, I went ahead and I actually bought the legacy collection of uh, Frankenstein with oh, uh, awesome. all eight, yeah, with all eight movies on there. Oh, so nice. I, I thought, yeah, so it's yeah, so it's really cool to have. Yeah, yeah, I have all the legacy collections. I love those. Although I did watch um, when we just discussed the Wolfman. I did watch the Spanguli version of that. Um, oh, did you? Yeah, nice. <laughs> I just love Spanguli. Yeah, <laughs> but um, you know, I definitely recommend this one. Um, I don't recommend this one as one that you should introduce people to these movies. Yeah, it's sort of like in the middle of these storylines. Yeah, no, I I agree. I would I I wouldn't put this one as like the high up there, but I mean I would put it as one you can watch down the line as you get introduced. Yeah, because it it's just a, it's a fun movie. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and one thing I did want to say, I think when I sent you the you, you and I were going over the list, and I sent you the names of the films, I put this one first, and then The Wolfman, and then Frankenstein meets The Wolfman. Yeah. But when I looked at them, they weren't in chronological order. So chronologically. Wolfman came out first, and then this one came out, and then Frankenstein meets the Wolfman. So it was like 1941, yeah. 42, and 43. So I figured yeah. it made more sense because we've been tra- we've been doing everything chronologically, um, right? In terms of release date. Exactly. Okay, folks. So we are going to take uh, another break here, and when we come back, we are going to wrap things up with the classic monster mash, Frankenstein meets the Wolfman from 1943. <laughs> Shark Bites, Shark Bites Podcast It's the greatest show in history From the Dorkening Network Hosted by a nerd who's named Patsy From movie reviews to tips on surviving the coronavirus Shark Bites has it all Follow us on Facebook and suggest topics at sharkbitespod at gmail.com. Available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Hi, this is Rigor, host of Then Is Now Podcast and The East Meets the West. I just wanted to say thank you to all of our Patreon subscribers. We appreciate your support as we grow the audience for our shows. You could find our links to our Patreon page as well as our T Public page at havenpodcasts.com. With Patreon, you'll get a lot of exclusive stuff, including our monthly pop culture newsletter, cool gifts, discounts for Tee Public, and our special exclusive show, Then Is Now Filmmakers Series, in which we interview directors, producers, writers, composers, special effects guys, basically anybody who works behind the scenes in film and television, and get their insights into the process of creating films and TV shows. Also at our Tee Public page, you'll find cool merch that you can get or even give to others as gifts. You can find those links at our website, or you can go directly to tpublic.com slash stores slash Haven Podcasts and patreon.com slash then is now podcast. Enjoy. 
Rise and shine, my sinners. When Father Evil starts his day, he gets a little deadly. Deadly Grounds Coffee has the richest, smoothest flavor you'll find anywhere. It's sinfully delicious. Once you go deadly, you never go back. Order yours at getdeadly.com. Coffee's so good, it's scary. upon me. I change into a wolf. Listen to me, Frank. I saw my father become obsessed by his power. He died a horrible death. There's no need for us all to storm after her. She'll come in if I ask her. Why should we treat her so fancy? She's a Frankenstein. Four years after the events of The Wolfman and the Ghosts of Frankenstein, two men break into the Talbot family crypt on the night of a full moon to open the grave of Larry Talbot, seeking jewelry that was buried with him. During the robbery, the thieves remove the wolfbane buried with Talbot, awakening him from death by the full moon shining on his uncovered body. Talbot reflexively grabs, grasps the arm of the grave robber with a fur-covered hand as the other thief flees. Talbot is found by the police in Cardiff later that night with a vicious head wound administered by his father at the end of the Wolfman and taken to a hospital where he is treated by Dr. Mannering. Talbot slowly comes to understand his situation, but during the full moon, he transforms into the Wolfman and kills a police constable. The next morning, Mannering realizes his patient had been roaming about and tries to reason with him. Though unable to accept Talbot's explanation of his curse, Dr. Mannering allows Inspector Owen to question Talbot, who becomes violently irate, then is overcome by orderlies and bound to his bed with leather straps. Not believing his story of being a werewolf, the doctor and detective travel to the village of Lanwelly to investigate Talbot and his story. While they are away, Talbot escapes from the hospital by biting through the restraints with his teeth. Seeking cure for the curse that causes him to transform into a werewolf with every full moon, Talbot leaves Wales and seeks the gypsy woman Maliva, who has hearsay knowledge of Dr. Frankenstein and opines that he may be able to help Talbot. Together they tra travel to the village of Viseria, where Talbot hopes to find the notes of Dr. Frankenstein in the remains of his estate and permanently end his own life through scientific means. The townsfolk want no part of them or their desire to meet with the deceased Frankenstein, rudely ordering them to leave. 
An upset Talbot transforms into the Wolfman and kills a young woman, causing the villagers of Viseria to raise a mob to chase him down. Fleeing toward the ruins of the Frankenstein castle, Talbot falls through the burned-out flooring and into the frozen cellars below. Talbot recovers from his animal state and wanders around, discovering Frankenstein's monster trapped within an icy chamber that has a light in it. Using a stone, Talbot breaks the ice and helps pull the now-revived creature free. Finding that the monster is unable to locate the notes of the long-dead doctor, Talbot poses as a potential buyer of the Frankenstein estate in order to seek out Baron Elsa Frankenstein, the daughter of Frankenstein, hoping she knows their hiding place. She declines to assist Talbot, but the pair are invited to the Festival of the New Wine by the Burgomaster. During the festival, a performance of the... A performance of the life-affirming folk song, Farola, Farole, enrages Talbot as Dr. Mannering arrives. The doctor, having followed him across Europe, attempts to persuade Talbot to return to Wales before he has another spell. Talbot refuses to go with Mannering, and the monster crashes the festival. With the monster revealed, Elsa and Mannering agree to help the villagers rid themselves of Frankenstein's curse forever. The following morning, the couple, with Maliva in tow, meet with Talbot and the monster at the ruins. Mannering is instantly fascinated by the monster from a scientific perspective. The Baroness gives the notes to Talbot and the Doctor. Mannering studies the notes and learns how to drain all life from both Talbot and the monster, believing the laboratory can be repaired for the task. In the meantime, the villagers are dismayed to see crates of scientific instruments arriving for Dr. Mannering. Ignorant of Mannering's plan to cure Talbot, the villagers fear another return of the Frankenstein monster, and they grow suspicious. Vazek, the innkeeper, details a plan to destroy the dam overlooking the Frankenstein estate with dynamite and drown all within, in the hopes that this will put a final end to the attacks from both the Frankenstein monster and the wolfman. The burgomaster dismisses the idea as nothing but a drunken notion, but Vazek is determined and puts his plan into action. Meanwhile, Dr. Mannering begins his experimental procedure of using electricity to drain the life force from both Talbot and the monster. But Mannering's scientific curiosity to see the monster at full strength overwhelms his logic. And to Elsa's horror, he decides to alter the machines and fully revive the monster. The experiment coincides on the night of a full moon, and Talbot transforms yet again as the monster regains his strength and eyesight. Both escape their restraints. The monster begins to carry Elsa away, but the wolfman attacks him, and she escapes from the castle with Mannering. The wolfman and the monster then engage in a fight until they are both swept away in the flood that results when Vazek dynamites the dam. Whew. So, Chris, uh, when did you first see this? Uh, this was also my first time seeing this one, and um, uh, I liked this one. Didn't love this one, but I did, I did enjoy it. It was fun. Really, really, I'm surprised because this was always one of my favorites. I freaking love this really? movie. Even yeah. this time around, I, I loved it more so. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it is, it's a lot of fun. It's good. I don't know. For some reason, it just didn't leave that much of an impression on me as like some of the other ones. I think I was expecting more interaction between the monster and the wolfman rather than just the last five minutes of it. But I mean, it was still, you know, enjoyable. Yeah, I, I, yeah, that is one disappointment is that the final fight is in the last five minutes of the movie. Um, yeah. But I just thought the buildup was really good. I liked, I thought the acting was great. Yeah. Um, I liked Talbot's journey in this movie. Um, now, one thing I was confused at, and especially reading the synopsis here, uh, I did not think this was the same Elsa from the last movie. I did not even pick up on that, no. Yeah, so... 
Interesting. Um, I don't think it is because this one had a German accent. Oh. The other one didn't. I assumed huh. this one was probably the daughter of Wolf. Yeah. Not Ludwig. <laughs> right. It gets confusing. Yet she knew where the secret secret room was in this castle. So maybe, I don't know, maybe she went and visited her uncle or something. Right. <laughs> well, we'll just chalk it up as another continuity victim. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> so this movie was directed by Roy William Neal, who also directed The Spider Woman and The Scarlet Claw, as well as a couple of Sherlock Holmes films, including one that we mentioned, Sherlock Holmes and The Secret Weapon. Uh, once again, written by Kurt Schiodmack, which I, I kind of feel like he did. He just get drunk and writing the last, you know, third of the film. <laughs> well, I, I think that's part of what my problem, like the part of what my issue was. I was like, hmm, it seems, yeah, it seems like someone was drunk when they were writing the last half of this movie. <laughs> this man needs to be held accountable for this sort of thing. Right. <laughs> and that was another thing that confused me. Um, I was trying to figure out, and the synopsis sort of clarified it for me which I always thought he was taking Talbot's energy yeah, and putting it into the monster. That's what I thought it was, too. Uh, but it wasn't until he actually said that he wanted to die that I was like, oh, oh, so he doesn't want to transfer energy. He wants to die. Right, but wouldn't... Uh, oh, yeah. But still, that would have still killed Talbot. He was taking their energy Yeah, out. exactly. That's but right. Then yeah. he reverses the polarity and it puts the energy into both of them. Okay. I, I yeah, yeah. That that I, I was confused too. That's why I was like, wait a minute. I thought I wait. I was I was confused, you know, about that because like I heard that part of it, but then when he said he actually wanted to die, and not so much transfer his energy, I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> that, right. So that left that left me a little bit confused. Yeah. Yeah. That was a little weird. Um, so we've got Ilona Massey here, who played the Baroness Elsa Frankenstein, and uh, she was a strong, in real life, she was a strong anti-communist. She even testified on some of the atrocities committed by the Soviets against the Hungarian people, oh, um, wow. but, uh, you know, in front of like a U.S. court or something. Um, yeah. And we did talk about her before. She was in Invisible Agent. Remember, mm -hmm. she was sort of the main character. Yes. And, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he was messing with the Germans. That's right. Yeah. We've got Patrick Knowles back. This time around, he plays Dr. Frank Mannering. Uh, Lionel Atwill plays the mayor. Bela mm. Lugosi is the monster this time, which makes sense because he has Igor's brain. Right. Uh, Maria Ospinskaya reprises her role as Maliva, the gypsy woman. A uh, guy named Dennis Howey plays P Police Inspector Owen. He was in quite a few Sherlock Holmes movies with Basil Rathbone, which now, now that I had did that research, I realized, oh, yeah, I have seen that guy in a bunch of stuff. Mm. Um, and then a bunch of a handful of other a bunch of and then we've got a handful of other actors, but another one that stands out is of course Chris Dwight Fry. Yeah, that's right, Renfield again. Renfield again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that guy had a steady career, and then I think didn't we say he like went into like airplane construction or something after his acting career? Yeah, I remember hearing about that. Yeah, interesting turn of events. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Now, I think that, and I really didn't think about this till I sat down to put my nose together, but I feel like this movie might have contributed to people erroneously referring to the monster as Frankenstein because it's titled Frankenstein Meets the Wolfman. Well, I guess you could say it was 
Elsa Frankenstein meets the Wolfman. She meets him. She doesn't fight him. Right. Yeah. Huh. You know, and Lugosi is the monster here. I thought was good. This is sort of where we get the trope of the monster walking with his outstretched ha- arms because he's blind. Yeah. Right. Um, and it makes sense that Lugosi would play him. Based, you know, if you want to talk continuity, well, he was Igor in the last movie. Maybe his face somehow. That's true. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know. Well, you know. And uh, just again to bring up uh, something we talked about on the last show. Uh, y- y- you know, it's funny that. Uh, I think people forget that that Bell Lugosi did play Frankenstein, uh, you know, this time around, because when people think of him, they know from the Ed Wood movie where he starts shitting on Boris Karloff and like, you know, how Frankenstein is just all makeup and grunting. That's right. but he plays he plays the character here, and I'm yeah. like, I'm, and, and people forget that. Isn't it so funny? Like it's ironic. Yeah, because Karloff never does that with the arms outstretched. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> that's no, awesome no, yeah no that's that's right yeah no you never did do the arms outstretched yeah <laughs> that's funny that's funny so I, I i also i hit in my notes here about elsa again but i think we've beaten that dead horse it's i don't really care anymore who, whose daughter she was she's the daughter of frankenstein that's all we need to know but we do have lionel atwell again in this one right always good to see him it's sort of a, a minor role here um, oh, and so the song, which I kind of mentioned in the um, in the synopsis, where it goes Farula, Faruli. Yeah. What's cool about that? Well, I actually have a funny story that I just thought of. Um, I was showing this to a couple buddies of mine when we were like in our early twenties. They'd never seen it, and they were like, "What? A musical number in a horror movie?" Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but what's funny about that song is there's a uh, horror convention called the Monster Bash, and I th- yeah. I think it's like every June. Uh, it's either Pennsylvania or Virginia, one of those places. And yeah. um, I guess it, I, I've never been there, but I'm dying to go someday. But at midnight on the Saturday of the convention, they they have a giant get together where everyone's having a party or whatever. The, you know, all the attendees. And there's a guy who leads the the group and sings this song. I, he might even have an accordion too. I'm not sure. Oh. And they, <clears throat> I, I believe if you go on YouTube and look it up, look up Monster Bash, um, Frankenstein meets the Wolfman song, something like that, you'll find it. And it's pretty cool. It's like the whole crowd is into it because we've all seen this movie a zillion times and we know the, yeah. the song lyrics by heart. So that, that would be something really fun to attend, you know? Yeah, that's awesome. Well, no, and uh, I actually didn't like this song in, in this movie. It worked. <laughs> I do too. I think it's catchy. Yeah. Um, yeah, the guy's overdubbed because then all of a sudden the music yeah. just stops. But <laughs> Right. But I mean, eh, whatever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it was cool. And it was interesting because like, he's like, in, you know, may this couple live forever. For yeah. la, 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 la. And then Talbot like f- loses his shit and he's like, I don't want to live forever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and they're all like, what the heck? I mean, it's, it, you know what? It's easy to call that a strange, strange scene that doesn't belong in this movie. But I don't know. I actually did like that scene. Yeah, yeah, I did too. I think it's kind of a nice break in the in the. Um, exactly. Yeah. You know, it's it's sort of a happy moment because these movies don't tend to have a lot of happy moments. No, they do not. <laughs> you know, not a lot of comic relief either in these movies. 
No, it's true. No, I mean, you just finding comic relief in horror movie. It's more commonplace today than it was back then, I feel like. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I hadn't really thought about that till this moment. But, yeah, this, yeah. you know, cause, so, yeah, good for them for doing that. And plus, you know, there was most movies had a musical number in them if they weren't a full-on musical. Yeah, yeah. Not all movies. Like, film noir didn't, but... Um, right. Yeah, you know, there were like even Abbott Costello movies. They always had like a musical number in there somewhere. Oh yeah. But you know, I I did like the fact that the there was a secret room in the secret room. Yeah, <laughs> that was cool. <laughs> and of course, she knew where to go at uh, Elsa. So again, begs the question: which daughter is she? Right. But then you know, the thing I love about these movies, especially we saw it with Ludwig in the last one, and now with Doctor Mannering in this one, the scientists that see the monster. At first, they're like, no, no, we'll help you destroy it. And then they're like, wait a minute. He actually made a monster. And they become fascinated by it. And they don't want to kill it. They want to make it make it live, make it stronger, you know? Yeah, right. Which that sort of mirrors the, the Henry's uh, Henry Frankenstein's obsession in the first two films. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, I thought that too. I love, I love Patrick Knowles' line. I can't do it. I can't destroy Frankenstein's creation. Yeah, I like that line too. The minus to the minus, and once again, (laughs) that was a cool set, even though it was tiny. (laughs) That was a cool set, and also I have to add too the sound effects in that scene are just they are outstanding. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) It's like you almost did. I don't think there was any music. It was the sound effects were just overpowering everything when she comes in and she's going Frank, Frank, you know. And but 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 you know something? It's funny you say there's no music because the way the sound effects, either the way that they're edited together or mixed or what have you, it almost sounds like music. That's true. That's really true. I never thought about that. There's something kind of. It's not, it's not lyrical. It's not, uh, I'm looking for a different word. Not lyrical, oh, but uh, like rhythmic. Yes, rhythmic. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah, because that always like strikes a chord in me when I'm when I'm watching this movie, and it's like, oh, here it comes, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, you know, he reverses the polarity as they do in a lot of Star Trek movies, and the monster regains full power. Talbot becomes the Wolfman, and they have a great fight for about five minutes. <laughs> And that's the whole movie in a nutshell. Yep, right there. the end. <laughs> the end. <laughs> but I did like that one scene, though, where the wolfman is on top of that giant air conditioner or whatever the hell it was, giant piece of yeah. equipment, and the monster throws it, and it's clearly on wires because the weight <laughs> is, like, distributed improperly because of Talbot's right. weight. So it almost looks like it floats through the air. <laughs> <laughs> and I knew that was coming so when I watched it this time around I put my brain on hold and I was like no he's throwing a piece of equipment and it worked it was just like he just picked up that giant thing and chucked it across the room and Talbot was on top of it and it just if you don't yeah. think about it too hard it's really awesome that, a, a, exactly <laughs> <laughs> uh. oh my god but the castle is gone it's, it's water this time not fire yep <laughs> yep, that's yeah. That's one thing I will say. There is no fire in the making of this picture. Right. <laughs> no fires were lit in the making this movie. <laughs> no no fires. <laughs> uh, so, Chris Frankenstein meets the Wolfman. What are your final thoughts? It's a really fun movie. Probably, probably didn't like it as much as you did, but I did enjoy it for what it is. I mean, again, I just kind of wish that the Wolfman and Frankenstein through line uh, the the whole Frankenstein and Wolfman you know through line plot 
was more integrated rather than happening so late into the movie. I agree. I agree. They took a long time to get there. Um, yeah, it's cheesy, but you know, keep in mind, this is the first of the monster mashes, really. Yeah. I mean, we did cover House of Dracula, but that comes a couple of films after this. Mm-hmm. So this is the one that started it all. This is the one, the shared universe, you know? Yeah, that's one thing I will say. It sort of started that tradition of what we see now of like, of um, of crossovers, uh, as it were. You know, like it's so commonplace now, but like when this happened for 1943, this must have been, this must have been the thing that audiences, they just freaked over. I can oh, only yeah. imagine. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, I've always wanted to go back in time to 1941 so I could see the Wolfman first run and then right. and then this one, you know. And yeah, it goes to Frankenstein, but would love to have seen this with opening audiences. I mean, they must have gone ballistic on this. Oh, yeah. So, but yeah, I, this is one of my favorites, I have to say. You know, um, my son and my grandson love this one as well as the Wolfman. Uh, we're big Wolfman people in this house. <laughs> nice. I felt I like I said before too. I did feel the fight this time around was uh, uh, exciting, more so than before. Especially the lead in with, like you said, with the um, the equipment and the sound effects of the equipment, and then uh, uh, I just I for me it, 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 as much as it has shortcomings, it all kind of works for me. Um, yeah. yeah, they could have gotten to that Frankenstein Wolfman through line sooner, but um, it is what it is. I thought the pacing yeah. was all right and. Um, the fights should have been longer, but overall, I just love this movie and I highly recommend it. No, yeah, no. I mean, it's a fun one. I think, in particular, it, you know, if um, if we're introducing, you know, the this whole concept of watching these movies, I'd say definitely see this one if you want to see the start of a crossover, especially with arguably two of the most famous of the uh, of the monsters in this universe. Then, then this is a good one to watch. Yeah, yeah. Okay, folks, thanks for joining us today for part two of our discussion on the Universal Frankenstein movies. Don't forget to sit down with someone you know who hasn't seen these films and have a great time watching them. On the next and final installment of the Frankenstein series, we will be discussing House of Frankenstein. And we're going to wrap things up with Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. You can send your feedback to thenisnow42 at gmail.com. You can also join in the conversation at our Facebook Then Is Now podcast group. Then Is Now podcast is a proud member of the Dorkening Podcast Network, so be sure to check out the other great shows there at thedorkening.com. And you can find me at storiesmotion.com. You can also find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Stories of Motion. And don't forget, you can also visit our website, heavenpodcast.com, where you'll find our sister show, The Eats Meets the West, in which we discuss Shaw Brothers films and Spaghetti Western movies. And while you're there, click on the Patreon and T Public links to get some exclusive stuff. That's right, folks. And then is now is on YouTube. So please visit youtube.com slash user slash Uncle Death One to get the latest videos as well as other fun videos. Please subscribe to our YouTube page and also share the video versions of our podcast with your friends and get them to subscribe as well. And don't forget to hit that little bell so you can get notifications when we have new videos out. Also, don't forget to go wherever you download your podcast from and leave us a great review so that more listeners can find us. You can find us on all the podcasting apps, especially the big three, iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher. Class dismissed.
Service Now podcast is intended for entertainment, educational, and informational purposes only. Sounds, music, and clips played during this podcast are the property of their copyright holders. All original content is copyright Jupiter Media. For more shows like the one you just heard, check out the Dorkening Podcast Network at thedorkening.com.